Excellent. Hello. Thank you so much for coming this morning, Saturday morning. Uh, I'm Echo Eshin. I'm the curator of uh, Forum, the talks program at 154 Art Fair. It's my great pleasure to welcome you uh, to our first talk today uh, with uh, Modipiola Fatuba and Catherine Finity. Um, I'm actually going to let Catherine invite yeah. <laughs> to all the introductions because uh, you're well versed and, and I think we're just looking forward to a... Happy to. Yeah, kind of open conversation to start the morning. Good morning. <laughs> thank oh, you. Also, one last thing, I should say thank you to Christie's Education who are the sponsors of Forum. Over to you, Catherine. Okay, thank you, Echo. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> thank you all so much for coming here bright and early. We really appreciate it. We hope it's going to be a really inspiring start to your day. Um, also, a huge thank you to 154. This has been such a fantastic fair. We're honored to be a part of it. And also thank you to Gallery 1957, um, where Madhu Payola currently has her exhibition until um, the end of the season. Without them, we wouldn't be here. So it's exciting to have um, the work travel from Ghana and to London and hopefully further. Um, what we'll be doing for the next hour is just having a quick introduction about the project playing a 15-minute documentary all about Madhu Payola's most recent series of work. Then we'll have a conversation and open it up for Q&A. So it'll all be very relaxing and enjoyable, hopefully, this early uh, morning. And I'll introduce Madhu Payola Fadugba. She's a Togo-born Nigerian artist and works across multimedia, so painting, drawing, also more recently video work and socially engaged practices. Um, interestingly, her background is actually in engineering, economics, and education. So you don't get to say that very often when you're introducing artist bios. But she's been a fine artist for the past um, four years. And this background also has really influenced um, ideologies of game theory and play into your practice. She was in New York City for the past five months through the International Studios and Curatorial Practice, where she developed this body of work. And in response to being in New York and in the States, um, her focus on synchronized swimmers, which we'll talk more about, evolved to think about the socio-political socio space of swimming pools in America and ideas of race relations, access, and visibility. So that's really what kick-started um, your research for this new project, Dreams from the Deep End. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about your ideas going into um, the residency before we play the documentary. Yeah, I won't spend too much time giving too much of an introduction because the documentary is just so layered and there's so much there. But um, really, working with the Harlem Honeys and Bears this summer was such an eye-opening investigation into my practice and even my journey as an artist. And um, when I first came across them about two years ago, um, I, I just thought it was so compelling and, and so cute, actually, almost to be working with this group of synchronized swimmers that are senior citizens in Harlem. But um, really, upon getting to New York and getting to Harlem, what I discovered was just so breathtakingly vast. Um, and so we've tried to condense all of that into a convenient 15 minutes, but really, there's so many layers. So we're really looking forward to sharing it with you and getting your thoughts and questions, because even um, in talks and engagements like this, there's so much feedback that I get, Catherine gets, and then that's also um, comes back into the work. So, uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to sharing it with you. Great. So, hope everyone's ready to go to Harlem. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
that exhibition, I am looking at the swimming pool as a space really for communities to gather. And also looking at ideas around inclusion and exclusion and who really has access to a space like the swimming pool. I am creating a body of 12 works, more than half of which were started in Nigeria. And uh, the other half uh, I started here in New York during my residency at the International Studio and Curatorial Program in Brooklyn. And in my research, I came across a book by Jeff Wiltz called Contested Waters, and he's describing the swimming pool as a contested space throughout um, United States history, culturally and socially. During the times when public pools were desegregated, for example, when people who otherwise had uninterrupted access to the swimming pool then had to share the space with black bodies and how that was such a contentious subject during that time. So I decided to use my, my three-month residency here for the summer to look at the Harlem Honeys and Bears, which is an all-black co-ed synchronized swimming team for senior citizens. Many of them talk about not having learned to swim until they were after 60 or once they joined the team, which also speaks to these ideas of lack of education and access to the swimming pool. I'm born in Jacksonville, North Carolina. When? What year? Uh, uh, 1922, I was born in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Swimming is the best thing could happen to me. When I'm in that water, it's just like, actually, it's a therapy, really. Mm -hmm. And what they normally give me in the hospital, I get it in the pool. By the time we actually got the permit, which was about seven weeks into my stay, I had been with them enough times that everyone knew who I was. I had become something of an honorary member. Always just dropped by the pool. So they practiced on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and some weeks I was there on each day. We need to be quiet and listen and try to do the best we can do at what we're doing. People are taking too much time doing other things than getting our practice in. Well, let's just pray that we get our practice in at 10 o'clock. And let's just hope that everybody gets there at 10 o'clock. When they gathered together and had the barbecue, there was also that level of community outside of the swimming pool and enjoying that company, the company of other team members in Mr. Luther's backyard in the beautiful brownstone um, in Harlem. Listen, I don't need you guys to get drunk, okay? 
Thank the Lord. Bless the cook. Uh, I've been with the Harlem Honey and Bears. This is my 24th year. 24 years. Wow. And I enjoy it, too. Sometimes I watch movies, and, like, uh, that's where I get a lot of it from, you know, different dance moves and things like that. So picture that in the water. Mm-hmm. I try to visualize that in the water. I got some hot sauce from Jamaica. No. Uh, Barbados. And I got some from around the corner. Do you have hot sauce from Nigeria? Ah! <laughs> Uh, uh, there's a plane leaving this afternoon. I'll get some. The team was all right in back in the day. Really? Yes, this is, is before there... Coach got into it. And then, you know, you saw the, 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 the slowly you saw the colors mixing. Mm -hmm. And then it was just us because everybody moved out of Harlem. See, wow. Harlem used to be mixed. And then Harlem came down. Now Harlem's coming back up, so they're back. So right now we just call ourselves the only African-American synchronized swim team. But I mean, the dynamics of the area have changed. And I'm yeah. almost certain, like with everything else, this is going to change soon. When we're in the water, we help each other. And I think that's how I became captain, because anything you ask me to do in the water, I can do it. And I feel like I'm the queen, like I'm in charge under it. Like, you know, the moves that you can do, the things you can do under it, you can't throw up in. across the street. <laughs> so these are the works that I've done so far, and they're based very generally on synchronized swimmers. What in this group? We're not represented in any of these. Not yet. OK, I didn't think so. Thank you. <laughs> you were like, where am I? Where are we? No, 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 not yet. You talked about the hair being in these big bonds and how you know you can't really get in the water like that. And it's, it's a thing, right, for black women thinking about what what to do with, with one's hair before getting into the water, even if you are wearing a swim cap. It's one of the reasons why uh, our African youth, female youth, when they get to a certain age, their hair is more important than learning how to swim. And then at that point is when they leave swimming. The idea that young black children are so prone to drowning at at least five times the rate as, as other children and that possibility that there's a risk of them drowning because they are black children and they don't have the access or exposure or education or interest in swimming, and therefore that could potentially cost them their lives. Historically, yeah. it's because we were not allowed in Right. Okay, and then the other thing is that when we came over, um, you can't swim in an ocean. So it actually started with, with just um, individual swimmers. And the idea was that I was trying to portray what my experience was in the art world. So having jumped in about four years ago and not really knowing what to expect in the art world, not knowing uh, how to be a professional artist as opposed to an artist or one that just makes things or creates things.
David Hockney talks about the formal problems of depicting water. He uses a very stylized approach to represent the light and, and refraction and splashes of water. And I think in a similar way, I've employed sometimes really thin gold lines or gold leaf to represent splashes. So the burning of the paper and the corrugated cardboard, it adds not just texture, but color to the work. I used to live in Rwanda just a few months after the Rwanda genocide. Yes, yeah, so I was 11 at the time, and we would drive around and see some of the buildings that were these actually really sort of bright pinks and pale blue, interesting colors. But then there were bullet holes and huge craters where bombs had exploded. And there was no visible violence at the time. And so I, I didn't witness anything traumatic, but it was interesting to be so glued to that image and to find it so alluring and almost beautiful, actually, but with such a disturbing history behind it. I mean, when I first started working with the concept of the Harlem Honeys and Bears, I didn't realize that I would depict them with so much sort of realism. They were really quite thrown off by the fact that the figures and the faces and the bodies were so abstract, which really made me reconsider how I would bring them to life in the painting. This person has a name, this person has a character. This is someone that I met, I had conversations with and connected with in some way. So maybe, yeah, that's another reason why I'm also choosing to depict them in a more representational manner. And so I think the first or second week that I arrived, we went to um, upstate New York in Cortland. And while they were practicing for, for their performance, this particular woman um, caught my eye because she, she wasn't in that particular routine. And I saw that her foot was positioned where the words deep came out in, on the tiling. And for me, there was something really captivating about the level of comfort, I would say, or freedom or ease with which she was perched on the tiles at the deep end. And so there was no fear that if for whatever reason she fell in by accident or somebody pushed her in or something, that she would drown. And so even though she's not in the water, she's outside of the water, she, she almost owns the space. We're at the Astoria Pool today in Queens, which was built by Robert Moses as one of the 11 public swimming pools in the New York boroughs. During the Great De Depression, to essentially allow for a place for people to cool off. And it was interesting being in the space today because if I pictured what it would have looked like in that time, I would have experienced was a homogenous bodies in the water, none of which would have looked like these swimmers or the Harlem Honeys and Bears. You 
cut it off like it's like fire. Yeah, the burnt paper. Yeah. That was this is like a, a a cut and paste of a number of different references to arrive at this. I'm like super proud. Why me? I'm in a war people. I don't know. That's me. That's me, and I'm happy when I'm near the water. That's all I can tell That's my favorite place to hold on. It's an interesting thing when you sort of strip yourself down and you're half naked and people can trust you within that space. When you are talking about waters being contested, it really is an issue of trust, whether you trust not only the water, but the people within that space with you. And we just... Oh, so I see that joy's here. Ooh, dang. Ooh, okay. Oh, ah, ah. That's a good picture. That's a good picture. It looks like burnt pieces. What yeah, I can show you. We can go up close. You got me there. I got you there. Yeah, you got I got you. You got, you got me. Okay, good. You <laughs> <laughs> You're calling it? The Medallion Man. The Medallion Man. Before I started working with you, this is how I used to depict synchronized swimmers. Yes. Very different. When I was ready to do your paintings, I would need to incorporate more realism in the way I represented you. Okay. You know, because okay. if I if I if I drew you like this, you'd be like, "Is that it? That's not me." No, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's the artist. You yeah. know, I respect the artist. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see something that I don't see, mm -hmm. and you put it on canvas. I spend a lot of time taking footage, pictures, and, and video of them from outside of the water, from an overhead view. But once I got into the water with them, I become part of them. To me, age is just a number. And uh, I'm gonna keep moving, no matter what. And uh, I just, I just decided I'm, I'm gonna be young forever. Yeah, yeah. It keeps me young. <laughs> it keeps me young. There's some more people. Welcome, everyone. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> Great. The more the merrier. Um, ooh, I get emotional. Every time, that. right? <laughs> um, Madhu Paola, thank you so much for that beautiful um, work. I just think your power as an artist to represent different voices and communities and to truly immerse yourself in the stories and the trials and triumphs of the Harlem Honeys and Bears and honor them and empower them and bring it to us is just incredibly important work. So thank, thank you so you. much for that. Um, 
Welcome again, and for anyone who joined us a bit later, um, this was a documentary that we collaborated on with Art Docs to capture the past um, five months of Madhu Paola's practice when she was in residency in New York City and focusing on the idea of synchronized swimming in the pool as both a nostalgic and contested site and how ideas of access and visibility um, are represented within that realm. And to contextualize a bit more about synchronized swimming, I'd love to ask you to elaborate upon that theme. I'm gonna brag a bit. You are an amazing swimmer. Madhu Payola is an avid, lifelong swimmer. And I know it's something that you prioritize in terms of health and confidence and teamwork. Mm -hmm. And you've been painting synchronized swimmers now for three years. Mm -hmm. So it'd be great to hear a bit more about what they mean to you and also how they've evolved. Yeah. Um, so I started painting, I started off actually by painting um, normal swimmers. They weren't synchronized. So these were individual swimmers that I used essentially as a metaphor for the artist. And so I, um, in that work, the body of work, it's a series called Tagged. And you have a number of swimmers, <clears throat> which are essentially artists who are competing in these very um, wild and fluid waters to get a, a red ball. So a number of you have seen it. I actually displayed it two years ago here at 154. But if you can picture it, it's sort of like a water polo. So you have all these swimmers, and people are <clears throat> almost fighting, almost Hunger Games style, to get this red ball. And the red ball is symbolic of the red stickers placed on sold artworks in a sort of gallery or sort of commercial art world setting. Um, and so that was my commentary on that rat race, essentially. Um, and it very much mirrored how I felt at the time. And so um, from that competitive angle in this arena of the swimming pool, it was you know, one swimmer, two swimmers, three swimmers, four. And then you know, they, they, I started playing with them, and they started to align. And so I don't think I started thinking so much about synchronized swimmers, but I've always really been drawn to the alignment and the beauty of synchronized swimming as a sport. Um, and again, it also just happened to mirror the way in which I was starting to um, identify people that I could trust with my practice. And um, so this is from just really close people. I mean, working with Catherine and, and, and knowing that, th that there's a safe space for me to, to be an artist and not have to, to, to juggle too many other things. And so it felt very much like a community and a team building of, of, of sorts. Um, and, and so, yeah, very much what I think synchronized swimming represents as well. Um, and so I started painting synchronized swimmers very generally, as you saw in the abstract form. Um, so they don't have any features, divine features, and the whole sort of takes priority over the individual. And that was the idea that you know, the individual is sort of, um, uh, is not really identified. Um, so I guess that's kind of yeah. where the series was last year. And then when you applied for the residency at ISCP in New York, maybe you can tell us a bit more about the process of first proposing this idea learning about the Harlem honeys and bears, and then what it was like working with them and meeting them and some of the logistics and the fun stuff. Yeah, and just tell us more about this amazing no, sure. Firstly, group I'm of gonna, people. I'm gonna drink your water. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> we share everything. So, yeah, um, so where do I start? <laughs> Which one? Okay, mm -hmm. so the synchronized swimmers. Um, uh, or maybe about New York and kind of how you started approaching what the swimming pool meant in that no, context. No, for sure, no, exactly. So, I mean, I, I'll go back a little bit. The last exhibition that I had, um, Heads Up Keep Swimming in Lagos, 
um, I stumbled upon a synchronized swimming team um, in the Ibadan International School. So it's a team for young girls, about 13, 14 years old. And it's the only team that exists in Nigeria, dare I say West Africa. And it was just really surprising because Ibadan is not necessarily the type of town that you might find that, but they were just incredible. And I was really inspired by that. And I started to um, look for other sort of all black synchronized swimming teams that exist existed, right? Because again, I was talking about the idea and we're really looking forward to your questions. So I'm almost trying to like be a little bit fast, but I was talking about the idea that, um, that the feedback that you get from, from the audience as well, like it, it, it sticks with me. I never intended to start to paint black synchronized swimmers, but because I was painting swimmers in my likeness almost, um, the questions always came up. Oh, the hair is interesting. And then there are these issues of not even seeing black bodies in water. And then everyone has their own personal story about the swimming pool, right? Um, whether it's a, it's a good story or whether it's a, it's a tragic story, everyone always sort of offers a story. Um, and so in looking to expand that dialogue about black bodies in water, I came about, I came across the Harlem Honeys and Bears and um, we were actually in Accra, uh, uh, Catherine and I, with um, Gallery 1957 when we started our preliminary research, decided to reach out to them because, I mean, they're all senior citizens, right? Half of them don't even use emails. And so we were like, how do we contact them? There's no Facebook page, nothing. So we, through a very circuitous search, we, um, we emailed somebody who, 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 who emailed somebody else and then said, we're, go we're gonna pass on your information to them. They'll get back to you if they're interested. And they did, you know, and uh, what was it, Mr. Leroy? Mm -hmm. sent an email with like all caps, God bless you. And we were like, okay, great. So we're, we're like, the, yeah, this so is gonna work. This is gonna work. And so um, got to New York and hit the ground running really. Like the second day I got to New York, went to their practice and I mean, yeah, I, I thought, okay, so this is how strict it is when you get there. When you have your phone and you might be like, you know, sort of like this, they're like, no pictures, no pictures allowed. And I didn't realize that it was such a big deal, but because it's um, the Hansborough Recreation Center is managed by um, the Parks and Recs Department in New York, they have very strict regulations about who can come and film. I mean, and with good reason, right? Um, you never know who's filming and for what reasons. And, you know, people are, like I said, half naked in, in the space. And it's really an issue of security and, and trust as well. And so they gave us the runaround getting the permit. We had to submit a form, pay $350 for one hour of shooting. And, um, you know, they chased us in and chased us out. Um, and we needed more footage, but we reapplied. And you know, there's somebody at Parks and Recs called Kim McNeil, who is not our friend. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, at the end of the day, we had to then improvise because in the space, and we'll show a few images of, you know, the overhead projections projections that we had in the gallery space. Then there were underwater peephole projections of them. Um, because obviously we weren't able to invite the Harlem Honeys and Bears to a crowd for the show. I wanted to make sure that we could invite them into space in, in, in different ways. And so to get the overhead footage, we didn't have enough. And so on this particular day, Mary, who's just a star and is up there helping us, um, we, we were informed that they had a performance at the Astoria Pool. Now the Astoria Pool is in Queens, outside of the jurisdiction of Parks and Recs, at least for that day, because it was an event. Um, and you know, we grabbed the camera guy, mounted my phone on a selfie stick, and then invited the Harlem Honeys and Bears to do a few stunts, like right at the edge of the pool and then like filmed, <laughs> it was like do that, oh do that flip again and then do that. And so Mary had the phone on, on, on the selfie stick. I was underwater getting what was happening underwater and then we were, and our footage was actually better than what we were able to get at the pool, but it was just that sort of like fast thinking, like we need to get this 
footage and and you know have it all together. So it was that constantly being prepared to just shift and and improvise and and be really creative with the resources at hand. Um, um, I get so excited when you share these kind of behind the scenes stories because I can perceive how much this more research based practice has has changed your work. For sure. And so I'd be really curious for you to share how immersing yourself in this community and focusing on more of a socially engaged practice actually changed your technique and the way in which you started representing these people that you got very close to. Yeah, um, yeah I think, you know, one of the, the best pieces of advice that I got going to New York was just to go with a really open mind. So someone actually just said, try and get to the pool without the swimmers there and sort of feel the space without them there so that you go in without any sort of assumptions, right? Um, and that's what I did. And I think I just sort of surrendered myself to the process because there was so much anxiety going to New York and knowing that I was producing this body of work in a limited time and working with senior citizens and going from Harlem to Brooklyn and shuttling, like all of that. Um, and so there was an openness to um, just receive whatever it is uh, they had to give to me. And um, yeah, they changed my style entirely. When we invited, you, you saw, um, what's her name? Ms. Velma, who came into the studio and said, I know, I know this is not supposed to be us. You know, we're not represented here in any way. And, and um, actually, they all had a similar reactions. It's just that you know, we've edited it. But um, it was actually a bit strange for them to be so. They were not moved at all. They were like, what is this? I mean, she actually <laughs> took me through one of the works. I think it's um, Default Lifeguard. Um, and she was like, OK, where's the head? Where's the arm of the swimmer? Where are the legs? And she took me through each of the six swimmers on that page because she couldn't identify anything. And so I was like, all right, this is not gonna fly. <laughs> it's not gonna fly in depicting the Harlem honeys and bears like this at all. And I, I, I actually sensed that that would be the case because prior to getting to New York, um, the, one of the team members uh, had sent me an image of the Harlem honeys and bears and many of the, the figures were backing the viewer. And uh, in the interest of sort of time, I, I, I got started on the work. And, um, trying to depict them in that very abstract form where it's really just the silhouettes, the, the swimming costumes, and there are no faces. And that works when you're working with maybe younger swimmers or if I'm depicting um, a still from, let's say, the Ukraine team. All of them are within five pounds of one another. They have the same figures, they have the same body. So there's this uniformity that allows for that abstract rendering, right? And when I did it with the Harlem Honeys and Bears, some of them are very full-figured women, and when I did all of them like that, it almost seemed like a caricature or somewhat mocking mm. of, of them, and so I had to stop the painting, and I said, when I get to New York, I'll continue once I know them, and I'm able to establish that level of intimacy and trust with them, and that's exactly what I did. So this is actually the transitional piece between the abstract and the more representational ones. I mean, yeah, they changed my style entirely, so there's also this anxiousness and, and nervousness in trying to essentially pick up something entirely, entirely new. Um, but I just felt in my gut that that was the best um, way and I've become very comfortable with it now. And, yeah. Yeah. and especially here you can see in this work with um, Joyce called Pink Honey, um, you have created a new language that still refers back to some of your earlier technical tropes. So mm -hmm. maybe we could, we could focus a bit about your practice leading up to this point as well. In terms of your background as a chemical engineer, 
and in economics and in education, which I just can't love saying enough because <laughs> I never get to say that about an artist. Um, ideas about game theory, recreation, play, chance, statistics, I know really um, come throughout your work and how maybe different aspects of that have influenced your approach to depicting ideas of swimming and, and other techniques. Yeah, um, sure. I think maybe I might speak to um, the idea of statistics. So maybe it's convenient that you've listed all the, the degrees. But um, when I studied chemical engineering in undergrad, did economics as a master's and education as a master's as well, one of the things I had to take a statistics course in each of those programs. Um, and what, was, what I found really interesting um, was that there was always this um, example given to, uh, to sort of distinguish the difference between correlation and causation, right? And the example you know, is, is sort of as follows. There's the ice cream. Um, but <laughs> it's uh, that um, in the months of June, from the months of June to August in New York City, uh, you can observe sort of an upward trend of um, ice cream sales, right? And uh, in another set of data, you might also experience in those same months in New York City an upward trend of drowning rates, right? And there's this idea that ice cream, eating ice cream doesn't cause you to drown, right? But rather that there's a lurking variable, which is the hot summer months that increases both ice cream sales and drowning rates simultaneously. People are swimming more, people are eating more ice cream. And so the idea is that ice cream doesn't cause, as in causation, people to drown, there's a correlation, which is the lurking variable. Now me, being like the random person that I am, I mean like I always like perk up at <laughs> the ice cream is what got me. Right? <laughs> so and yeah, that's like one of my favorite pastimes as well. But um, it's, uh, but, 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 the, but, but, the, but the example came up every single time and I was like, this is so cool. And I was, you know, like it, it seems so <laughs> trivial, but it's something that when you think about it, I mean, and this is what's represented here with the ice cream girls. You have these young children, it's summertime, everyone is swimming more, including black children who haven't really historically had access to the swimming pools, and so the education is not really quite complete. The culture is not complete, right, of, mm. of swimming pool and, and recreational and that sort of leisure culture. So they're enjoying this ice cream, and they're perched in the pool, and their legs are, are dipped in, and there's this looming risk, right, of drowning. If one of the kids falls in, there's this high mm. possibility that they might drown if they don't know how to swim. And so there's this like binary option, you sink or you swim, that's yeah. it, there's, there's no in between. And so um, that was what I, I, you know, that's kind of what guided, you know. Yeah. In fact, at the beginning, I think I was like, this ice cream, this exhibition is gonna be all about ice cream, it's gonna be ice cream everywhere. <laughs> and everyone has to sort of like reel me back in. But um, yeah, that, it, sometimes it starts with a, a, a thought as, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I think that, that the ice cream's an amazing icon and we did talk a lot about ice cream. We ate a lot of ice we cream, did. too. We did. But um, I guess as well, the, the title, Dreams from the Deep End, really captures that duality you were just talking about, mm -hmm. this idea of when there's something that could um, capture a lot of tragedy and fear can also be tempered with hope and with learning mm -hmm. and with bringing people yeah. together. Yeah. And it reminds me, and when we had some of the installation shots, um, those were all from the show in Ghana, which is up right now and opened last month. Um, and I'd love to talk a little bit about this because one of my favorite parts 
of um, curating this exhibition with Madhu Payola and with Gallery 1957 is thinking about how to make it a truly immersive and interactive space, how to make it feel welcoming. It's a place you, you wanna be a part of, that you wanna stay, that you can participate in. And that was just capturing the entire ethos of the Harlem Honeys and Bears and welcoming That's you. my nephew. Yeah. yeah, so this is the dream moment <laughs> right here. <laughs> and your sister was saying, oh my gosh, can he touch it? And I said, yes. <laughs> he, can, he can jump on top and pretend to swim, and he did. It was fantastic. <laughs> but um, so I'll, I'll walk everyone through a little bit as well, because not everyone uh, might have the chance to see the show in Ghana. I'm thrilled to say some people in this room have. But when you walked into the gallery, there was a soundscape. And it might be gentle lapping water during a performance, or it could be one of Coach Foute's very inspiring and assertive <laughs> pep talks, as you heard in the beginning of the documentary. And the idea was just to welcome you into that space and almost feel like the, the walls of the gallery were echoing in the way that you would in a pool. And then we have um, five different video installations. Here was the overhead footage that Madupe and our dear friend Mary took of the Harlem Honeys and Bears. Behind in these portholes are the underwater footage. So it's like actually getting to see under the water and the effort that it yeah. takes really to make strong. these beautiful formations. And then in the corner there where you see some of the um, sun loungers is an area where you can sit and watch the documentary, but also access the different books that Madupe was mm -hmm. reading and researching, books on David Hockney, who inspires you how to depict water, Jeff Wiltz's um, Contested Waters, talking about the history of swimming pools in America. So with all of this idea of making it very interactive, which was what I was so thrilled to achieve and create that energy of, of play and welcome into that space, I'm curious how you feel ideas of access and visibility might be important to your work, not just in the research phase, which it clearly was integral, but also in terms of how your work is exhibited now and in the future in terms of audience impact, also different institutional contexts, and having a diverse international outreach. That's a very loaded question. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, I'll, start, I'll start with you with international outreach. Um, one of the one of the things I really struggled with, um, with the exhibition, particularly while I was creating the body of work in New York, a number of people came um, at the ISCP program, which a lot of people are invited to come and look at the work, to give feedback, um, to have dialogue about the work. And it was extremely helpful to me. Um, and one of the recurring statements was everyone was saying, this exhibition should be in New York. Why is it in Accra? This exhibition should be in New York. And it made me feel very, you know, like a little bit displaced. Um, and people were saying that for, for different reasons, and I, I actually felt as though I think this is an exhibition that I, I want to take back home. I want to take back to the continent and have the continent experience it in, 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 in a different way, and there's almost like this disconnect. Why are you, as a Nigerian, doing an exhibition in Accra about African-American swimmers, and like, what's the connection? And um, uh, you actually, you, uh, the, the, the collection of books that were laid out mm -hmm. next to the sun loungers. One of them was Homegoing, uh, which is a book by Ya JC. Uh, has anyone read it, by the way? Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, my gosh. If you haven't, please. It's, yeah. it's a quick read. It's a beautiful read. 
and it's so such a compelling narrative that starts in sort of slavery times in Ghana and in a, yeah in Ghana and then ends up in Harlem, right? And it tracks two generations, and you know, some of them stay on the continent. The others are taken as slaves to the U.S. from the south and migrate up to the north and end up essentially in Harlem. And so there was like this link, right? And mm. also addressing the dialogue between Africans and because I grew up in the United States as well, there's actually a really prevalent sort of disregard, I think, amongst sort of African and African diasporans towards African Americans. And so it was a really great investigation for myself to immerse myself in that way and to just make it global and accessible to really anyone. And I mean, hopefully, God willing, we'll all grow old and, 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 and gray. And I think everyone can also connect to what, what do people do in their, in their time when they've retired and they, you know, have time on their hands, but not necessarily time in their lives. And so there's also that universal aspect to, to the work that I wanted everyone to be able to access. Yeah. Could we actually go back one step, Mary, to the painting that was just up? Because I thought that much beautifully. I just wanted to mention, this is Madhu Paola's newest work called 1922. You can see it at Gallery 1957 in the West Wing, Stand G17. And, and you actually made this work after the exhibition, mm -hmm. went back to New York, made it this month, and it's with Miss Latisse, mm -hmm. the oldest member, and she knew, oh wow. This is my hero, this is Miss Latisse. She's uh, from 1922, as the title indicates. Um, that's the year she was born, and which makes her 96 years old. So not only did she just get married four months ago, uh, <laughs> And she volunteers this to everyone. And, and you know, I thought it was just like an old people thing, but you know, the first thing she said to me, you know, she'll say something like, oh, the weather's nice, but you know, I don't care because I just got married. You know, so, and she said that's the first thing she said to everyone. And she's just such a, 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 a joy. But the reason why I have these pictures is because, again, Parks and Recs didn't allow us to take pictures of her at the swimming pool, and I really wanted to just have her. And so I had to go to her house and stage some sort of shoot and then improvise and then make it look like a swimming pool. So there's a lot in terms of process there. But it's just as well because this is like all the pictures of her you know, on her like wall of fame. Um, and look at that. Like, that's body goals for me at 32. So it's, um, I mean, again, I like we're short for time, but it was yeah, such a beautiful moment because at the time when, can you go back to Miss Latisse? We could just, we could just, we could even just leave it there with Miss Latisse. But um, <laughs> at the time when I went to her house, she was watching the Miss America pageant, right? Did anyone catch that this, this year, the Miss America pageant? And uh, so she had tape recorded it and she is very much into pageantry and we were watching it. And it was such a loaded and layered moment because in that, um, in this year, Miss New York won. So I was like, yay, Miss New York. And as we were watching it, um, she was like, there's so many chocolate girls this year. I've never seen this many chocolate girls. And there were, like, there were, you know, black women and dark-skinned black women represented. And so Miss New York, who's, you know, just a very eloquent, beautiful, dark-skinned woman, she won. Um, and it's also the first year that they've eliminated the swimsuit portion of mm. Miss America, which is just, I mean, so loaded, right, in terms of what, when do you put on a swimming suit? It's for function and not for mm. necessarily to, you know, for pageantry, right? And it was just, it was entirely way too loaded in such a special moment. Um, this sounds like an amazing new Yeah, I feel project. like it's something I want to write about. Um, mm. uh, yeah, because it was, it, was, it was really loaded. But I could talk for forever, so I, I would love your questions. Let's, well, let's, let's, um, let's open it up um, for questions. Yes. Hi. You briefly mentioned a performance element of the exhibition. I wondered if you could 
speak a bit more about that, what it was, what form it took? The performance? That's maybe in the Lagos yeah, so, show. Yeah, in the, in the last show that I did in Lagos, um, I had the group of young girls from Ibado come and perform. So there were six of them. Um, actually, it was a really interesting performance. So there were six of them, and I had been in touch with um, the coach of the team to perform to a... Uh, a, a it essentially became a song, but it was a series of writings called Dear Young Artists. And so in the series tagged that I was talking about where you have these swimmers competing against the red ball, I wrote almost a poem or a letter addressing young artists and saying, be cautious, you know, learn to swim, don't drown, pretend to ignore the red ball. It's all fun and games until someone drowns. So it's like this very sort of poetic letter to artists um, inspired by a few other, like, uh, I can never pronounce his name, Rainer, Rainer Rilke, Letters to a Young Poet. Mm. You know, yet Letters to a Young Poet, does anyone know it? Oh, it's beautiful, I feel like all, all artists should read it. Um, so sort of like that, and so I wrote my own, and one of, uh, M.I., who's like Nigeria's greatest rapper, turned it into a song, so he put like a really nice beat on it, and then they performed to that, and there was this red ball, and there was this play against six of them competing for the ball, and at each interval, the referee would blow the whistle, and then one person would be eliminated until there was only one person standing. And it was, yeah, it's really quite great. Oh. <laughs> Hi, um, my name is Oba, Oba Hansuwe. I first saw your work in Lagos about three years ago. Okay. Um, I think at a place called Temple Muse. Oh. Um, it's incredible to see how the trajectory has developed and the narrative is so, so strong. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask you about the fear as, as black people we have of, the, of water. Um, I'm I, I terrified of water. I mean, I swim a few meters. So is that something you've interrogated, you've thought about? Why is it that it seems that we, I'm, I'm generalizing, obviously. Why is it that you think that we fear water? Um, I think I think it's I think it's really loaded. I think um, a lot of people. I know for me in Nigeria, for example, one of the things that you know in each house we lived in, and we lived in a number of houses in Rwanda. Um, growing up in Tanzania, there was there was never conversation about a swimming pool, right? It was like this is just out of the question because everyone sort of has a horror story and they pass it on, and then so you remember this, I think, um, and and you you tread cautiously. Um, and then I think sometimes, I don't even know maybe whether it's spiritual, right, from mm. ancestors saying that water is like, that's not going to take you anywhere nice, you know? And so, um, <laughs> like, who knows? Maybe there's also something there. And again, Homegoing does such mm. a beautiful job of connecting this idea of water and our sort of visceral reactions to, to, to water. Yeah, when we um, were um, talking with a few of the Harlem Honeys and Bears, they, they were really um, emotional about when they heard it was going to show in Ghana because they um, reverted back a lot of their own personal fears sometimes before learning before how to learning swim for this time. team, referencing the transatlantic slave trade. Mm -hmm. And so when they heard Ghana, they thought, wow. that's where we yeah. came from. Yeah. And so how powerful to have our bodies swimming well it, back in that space yeah. and kind of this reclamation. Yeah. But I think encouragingly enough, it, it really is a strong story about education, right? And having um, sort of that institutional support. If you have a school, I mean, that's when I learned to swim, right? It, which just wasn't a question. You just have to jump in and complete the lap. 
So I didn't have a choice but to you know, make it across. And so when you have a community and this learning is, is, is there and there are teachers and there's this lifeguard, mm. then it then becomes a safe space. Otherwise, it is, it, it's a threatening space, right, and a very... Yeah, and also to mention, that's one of the most important missions of the Harlem Honeys and Bears, in addition to practicing three times a week. On Fridays, they give free swimming lessons to children. to children in their community. So that idea of um, passing on knowledge and skill sets and intergenerational learning is really at the heart of what they do as well. I think we have time for one more. One more, yeah, I think. Hey, Madupe. Hey, Rashad. <laughs> this uh, fantastic work. And, my question was, uh, I, I was really moved by the connection you made with your subjects, and I was wondering, is there like a future of you collaborating with them in a more performative way? I know you kind of you know, documented their performances and it took shape as um, works on paper, but if you thought about kind of transitioning into doing something um, live art with them. Yeah, that, that I, yeah, I have thought about it, and it would be incredible. And a few people have mentioned, even I had in my catalog, I think there, there might be a few um, going around um, of the exhibition, I did a Q and A with Ibrahim Mahama, and he's very much about you know sort of space, and and he asked a similar question that have I thought about doing this in maybe like a defunct swimming pool, um, mm. and looking at those ideas around why that swimming pool is defunct in areas of funding and access, and you know um, to the swimming pool in the first place, um, and reclaiming that space, um, and and because of, they are of a certain age, they also bring with them a narrative of a, of a certain time. And so I think, for me, I would want to really explore that carefully and not carelessly, mm. Um, mm. particularly as something, someone of, something of an outsider to make sure that I know what that fully, what that means and what the implications are. But I think, yeah, I think I will. And I pray I have the support to do so. I think, I think we are being told it is just at our limits. They're so live. Any questions, <laughs> I was say, any questions yeah, Dupay and I will be around, and we would love for people to come and ask questions yeah. and hang out and talk. And Madupay, I want to thank you again so much for this beautiful thank body you. of work. Thank you. Thank you. And. Um, Thank you, Echo, Echo, and 154 in the forum for letting us bring it from New York to Ghana to London. And thank you thank as well you. to Catherine Finity yes. and Montepiola. And also just to say that Montepiola's work is on show in the uh, Gallery 957 booth in the West Wing, Somerset House in uh, W17. Uh, thank you all for coming this morning. It was a great talk. Thank you. Uh, stay tuned if you want to come. My next talk is, is at 12.30 on the fugitive image and the kind of archive image in, in artist movement image work. Thank you very much. <laughs>